At Netflix, developers write applications with a variety of requirements, from simple requests for a list of movies to more resource-intensive requests, like a complex machine learning workflow that probably takes much more compute resources than a simple request for a list of movies. Netflix wants developers to be able to request the resources that they need from a compute cluster and receive those resources on demand without thinking too much about the state of that pool of resources that they are drawing from, which is ultimately an ephemeral cluster of machines that is on Amazon somewhere. At the cluster level, this means scheduling the application requests intelligently. Sharma Podila is a distributed systems software architect at Netflix, and he explains in today's episode how Netflix has built a cloud-native scheduling system on top of Apache Mesos. This is a really great episode. It's, it gives a lot of insights into the technical depth that has gone into the uh, amazing ability to stream movies and get great recommendations for movies on Netflix. It's also a great complement to the previous episode that we did on scheduling with Adrian Cockcroft, who used to work at Netflix as the architect. This is more of a Netflix Today episode, whereas the other episode was more about scheduling in the abstract and perhaps how Netflix used to be. So with that, let's get on with this episode. Sharma Podilla is a distributed systems software architect with Netflix. Sharma, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be here. So we did a show with Adrian Cockcroft several months ago where we explored different types of scheduling. Adrian used to work at Netflix, and he gave a breakdown of different types of scheduling that can happen at the CPU level, the load balancer level, also at the machine level. Could you define what that term scheduling means to you, both both in the abstract computer science sense and also what it means in the context of Netflix, where you work. Scheduling could mean a lot of things for us specifically. It means assigning some resources such as a processor, memory, or network bandwidth, for example, to a certain workload unit that would like to execute using them. Um, and... For this, it means we've got resources across a fleet of distributed computers, and we would like to schedule some workload to run on them and therefore allocate those resources to them. Right. And what does that mean? What What are the typical types of scheduling that you're looking at at Netflix? So we are dealing with um, scheduling workload at the uh, application level where we have applications that would like to execute on the computers. And typically, we have computers or servers with varied amount of resources. And it's a problem of trying to allocate these resources to an individual application that will consume that for a certain period of time. And Netflix has a number of different styles of workloads. There's batch, there's streaming, there's microservice-style workloads. Could you give a few examples of these different types of workloads? Sure. Long before our work on the current scheduling that we are talking about, Netflix was already running a mature ecosystem of microservices that ran on the AWS EC2 cloud. Um, 
when we started the current work, we were looking at uh, new applications that were stream processing applications or batch workloads that wanted to do a little bit more efficient assigning of resources and scheduling to be um, both efficient in resource usage as well as make better assignments of resources based on the work that varies a lot more than a microservice sitting there for a long period of time. So we are seeing workloads that range for stream processing, for example, that do high cardinality, low latency anomaly detection uh, to batch workloads that are doing algorithmic training jobs, for example, A-B test models, uh, report generation in some instances, media content encoding. Uh, there's also software workloads that has artifact dependency verifications. And we also see a little bit of the service style, microservice style workloads that are based on the Node.js platform. So this is, um, uh, uh, this is like sort of the variety of the workloads that we are seeing. Definitely. And we will get into the different types of schedulers that have been built. But just as a high level, Netflix uses Mesos, which is a cluster manager. It's a scheduler technology to run these workloads. And Netflix has also built Finzo and some other supporting technologies to improve the scheduling for specifically for the domain of Netflix, but it's also probably more broadly applicable. But before we get into those specific technologies, at a higher level, what are the requirements for a scheduling system that handles this variety of workloads? So the bare minimum, um, I think things start out pretty simple when people are building schedulers. It is a matter of finding a server that's available to execute one of the workloads. So one of the workloads, I'm going to refer to workloads as jobs or tasks. And the simple start often does a simple assignment as in first fit, the first server that I find available to run, I start running it. Very soon, the requirements start uh, getting a little bit more complex. And those are things like, well, do you do first in, first out in terms of which task gets to execute when? Or do you use the first server available? Or is there a more optimal assignment where tasks can either be co-located for better communication across them? Or maybe they want to not be co-located in order to survive a server failure, which can more often happen in a cloud for high availability reasons. Uh, there may also be other reasons uh, to place them optimally such that you minimize the total footprint of your compute usage, for example. So the requirements start out simple, but soon start uh, getting more complex. Yeah. And as I said, Netflix uses Mesos, a cluster manager. What is useful about Mesos? Why do we want a resource manager like Mesos? So Apache Mesos is useful as a resource manager to manage uh, a heterogeneous collection of servers and make them available for fine-grained resource allocation for various schedulers. Um, before Mesos, um, applications like microservices were built into a machine image that EC2 can run, for example, and boot up instances for that. 
And what Mesos allows us to do is look at a collection of servers and do much finer grain allocation such that an individual server may be able to run multiple batch tasks or multiple stream processing jobs that uh, some of them may use more of the processor and others may use more of the memory and reside together on a machine for more efficient compute usage. So Mesos handles all of the logistics of making a cluster of resources available in a consistent fashion and present a very simple model that our applications can then focus on their domain-specific scheduling needs and launch the tasks. Indeed. So Mesos has the terminology of frameworks and agents. To give listeners a little better idea of how Mesos works, can you define those terms, framework and agent? Sure. Mesos um, has what it's called a master uh, that is sort of the master of the entire cluster and keeps track of the resources and keeps track of what tasks have been launched where. So all of the execution servers that are available for the cluster are called agents. Um, an agent could be any compute server that's available to execute the uh, jobs that are run through Mesos. And then when these resources are made available, uh, the applications that are built on top of Mesos are called frameworks. A framework is an application that attaches to the Mesos master and listens to uh, resource offers that the master pushes into the framework to say, hey, here's some resources that you could use. And the frameworks then either accept them um, and launch tasks against them, or if the framework realizes it has already enough tasks running, it can reject them. And the Mesos master can then take those rejected resources and offer it to another framework. So in a way, Mesos allows multiple different frameworks to share a common cluster of thousands or tens of thousands of agents. Indeed. So as you said, Mesos does this allocation of resources to frameworks. It's sort of like a broker uh, between between the frameworks and the resources that are available across a cluster, and Mesos can offer them jobs to, you know, run with those resources, uh, or sorry, resources to run their jobs. So, could you give an example of a framework that would spin up and like, exp or explain just the interaction pattern between a framework and a a given set of agents, or like you know, uh, what is it? What is a typical framework that is running against Mesos at Netflix? Sure, let's take a small example. Um, we have a framework called Mantis, which is uh, a stream processing engine for anomaly detection, etc. Um, and let's consider a cluster where we have, say, five agents, five execution servers, and the Mesos master comes up. The five agents register themselves to the Mesos master, and now we have five agents available. The Mantis framework, when it is brought up, it connects into the Mesos master and says, I'm a new framework. Here's my uh, framework name, etc. cetera. Uh, there may be security involved in the handshake, but somehow there's a handshake and the framework connects into Mesos master. And once it is connected, Mesos master can now uh, send resource offers as a process of its 
allocation, it may send some resource offers to say, here's a server uh, with ID one that has four CPUs of memory, some amount of uh, four CPUs and some memory. And then the Mantis framework says, I've got a task that is pending and therefore I would like to use that offer and launches the task uh, with that corresponding offer. And Mesos then takes the task, validates that the offer is still valid and instructs the agent to start the task for this framework. At a later time, the framework is either told when the task is completed through the Mesos master, or the framework can choose to terminate the task prematurely if it wishes to. There is also a notion of connected frameworks where um, if the frameworks go away without terminating their task, the cleanup can happen. There is also um, a way to say a framework may restart and then reconnect back to its previous state and then continue where it left off. So Mesos allows all of this interaction. I want to move towards a conversation about what is unique about scheduling at Netflix and what is uh, what is changing in the compute infrastructure landscape that is requiring Netflix to think more deeply about scheduling and change things. The, the first thing around that, I guess, is is not a recent change, but um, given that Netflix runs most of its workloads in the cloud on AWS, what are the additional concerns that you have to take into account when scheduling workloads in the cloud? I think there's probably some notions around ephemerality. Uh, you know, machines are going to disappear. It, maybe it's not as much of a reliable situation. Um, how does it change scheduling? So there were two motivations um, initially when we started looking at scheduling on an Elastic Cloud. One was, there is definitely the cloud ephemerality that you mentioned. Um, the resources may be uh, going away and not coming back more often than you would find in a data center. So there's definitely that ephemerality. So fault tolerance is, is, is a a bigger aspect scheduling in a cloud uh, versus scheduling in a data center. Beyond that, we started seeing that our usage of cloud resources um, goes up and down in terms of the volume of data to process or the volume of computes that we use. So an elastic nature of the cluster was important. And if we look at a lot of the scheduling work in and around Mesos, very few people were looking at making the Mesos cluster itself elastic. So that was one of the first problems that we wanted to solve. And the other is um, the other benefit of scheduling that uh, that we got out of our work on top of the EC2 cloud was we are able to use different instance types that Amazon has and then bin pack them with different kinds of tasks. Um, so scheduling becomes important. Otherwise, without these schedulers, we would have to pick one instance type per task and likely be less efficient in their usage. Interesting. Yeah, you mentioned the the changing nature of the evolving nature throughout the day of what kinds of workloads you're running and how the cluster wants to tolerate that. Is that due to just the fact that, you know, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., everybody's coming home and watching Netflix, and then other hours of the day, 
the the workloads are quite different because perhaps not as many people are watching Netflix? Uh, certainly, there are definitely those uh, daily patterns and weekly patterns that we see uh, from our uh, Netflix subscribers. There are also other aspects that uh, change this uh, in addition to those. For example, there are some anomaly detection uh, jobs that run on the stream processing engine. And if somebody were to be digging into an outage, suppose there's a microservice that's having trouble, we see a lot of interactive uh, drill through of anomaly detection, which increases the the amount of workload and the amount of data that's being processed. That's one example. There could also be examples for batch workload where um, the models that are generated for recommendation engines or the media content encoding have their own cycles based on how much of the new content is being created and being input into Netflix system. So um, before we dive a little deeper into Fenzo, Another um, big shift that I think is worth discussing is how how have containers changed the workloads and the strategies that you could take around scheduling or the ones that you wanted to take around scheduling? And, and I guess um, if you could discuss where uh, the adoption of containers at Netflix, where did that happen chronologically relative to Fenzo? So our use of containers started out with um, using C groups-based isolation, uh, the Linux C groups-based isolation, and also several um, areas where people are using Docker-based uh, cont- uh, containers for resource isolation. The so, so there's two aspects to containers being very interesting um, in my mind. One is the resource usage itself. If we are going to pack different tasks onto a single Linux server, then we need to guarantee some resource isolation across them. Otherwise, one task may affect a different task, which is completely unrelated. So for that reason, containers are obviously very important. Uh, The other reason they are important is the developer friendliness, so to speak. Um, The developers are able to write their code and test it inside a container on their desktop sometimes in a similar fashion that it would run in the cloud using our Mesos frameworks. So there are some developer benefits from the containers as well. And I guess we should start talking about Fenzo. So what were the functionalities that you felt were lacking in existing schedulers when you started to work on Fenzo. And just for so listeners have some context, Fenzo is a scheduler for Apache Mesos frameworks. It's a, it's sort of an augmentation to Mesos, as I understand. So what are the functionalities that you were seeking to augment Mesos with? Sure, yeah. About two and a half years ago when we started uh, considering writing a scheduler versus using a scheduler that's available out there for Mesos, What we felt was that a lot of the schedulers were employing um, simple first fit, random selection of resource kind of strategy, which works very well for certain kind of problems. However, we were trying to do a couple of things that needed a little more sophistication on how we place tasks onto which resources. One was uh, the 
cluster being elastic, as I mentioned before, we wanted to change the size of Mesos cluster dynamically throughout the day based on the actual workload. And although it's easy to scale up, scaling down is harder if you want to make sure you only terminate servers that are not running any workloads. It requires some kind of a bin packing. And the other reason was we wanted to ensure uh, distribution of uh, tasks uh, that of a service, for example, across the Amazon availability zones for high availability. And we also wanted to do resource affinity and task locality where possible. So in order to do all of this, it turned out we will have to write a new scheduler. However, instead of writing a completely new scheduler, we wanted to write something that's reusable. So Fenzo is actually a scheduling library that any Mesos framework can use as long as they run on the JVM. It's a Java library, basically. Okay. And what is the process for building a scheduler like that? What are the steps that you need to take? Did, I mean, did you start out with just like an architectural process and like what kinds of coding do you have to do? How does that, how does that even work? How do you build that? Yeah, so in, in scheduling, eventually it, it sort of boils down to a matchmaking process where you've got some amount of available resources across the agents and you've got some number of tasks waiting to get launched and you want to match some resource to some task as optimally as possible. One of the things that I've learned over the years is that uh, scheduling is complex enough by itself and trying to add a new feature um, every few months soon becomes like you're putting a Band-Aid over another Band-Aid unless you've thought through of how the scheduler evolution is going to look like. So it's easier to design a scheduler into which you can easily add new scheduling strategies. So you want to build a scheduler that has sort of a framework, so to speak, um, of possible extensions to it in the future to accommodate new scheduling objectives. So that was the basis for designing Fenzo to say, we're going to have an extensible way of adding functionality. So Fenzo supports plugins where somebody who wants to have a completely new scheduling objective can write a little piece of Java code and put it into Fenzo as a plugin, and it'll just achieve that. Um, there are some built-in plugins that Fenzo comes with, but people have also added on top of it. So this matchmaking process, I, I mean, I have a few questions. So um, first of all, like, how do you, how do you augment, because Mesos has a built-in way of brokering the resources and the frameworks. So I'm curious how you augment that. But I'm also curious if it's like, it, it almost sounds like building, you know, one of these trading systems where, you know, you, you have some huge brokerage house and they're trying to negotiate uh, people who are buying stocks with people who are selling stocks and get the best liquidity flow um, between them. So I, I, you know, I guess those are those are two disjoint questions, but uh, uh, I, I yeah. take take them how take them how you may. So yeah, I, I, I suppose that's an interesting analogy. Um, so what happens in Fenzo, uh, in the scheduling that we do in Fenzo, is is that 
we get resource offers from Mesos, um, which has done the allocation. So for example, it may have allocated 10 servers uh, with some amount of CPU and memory and other resources in it. And then we may have some number of tasks. Um, what Fenzo does is it builds a collection of these agents, resource offers from agents, and a collection of these tasks and runs through them to uh, figure out a score on which task would get the best possible score by running on which agent. So for example, a task may fit on one of five different agents. So which one do I pick? And the scoring is where the sophistication comes. Uh, is the fitness factor. Fun- exactly. It's a fitness function. Scoring could be based on bin packing fitness criteria, or it could be based on making sure that uh, you know, certain security aspects are met. So you could write a fitness function that may have certain aspects to that. So uh, bin packing is pretty common. You can bin pack based on CPU usage, memory, network bandwidth, etc. Um, so that's how the scoring comes in. It also has what's called constraints. Uh, constraints could be a soft or a hard constraint, where a soft constraint is met on a best efforts basis and a hard constraint must be met. And the difference between fitness functions and constraints is that the cluster-wide optimizations are embodied in the fitness function, whereas constraints represent the optimizations that the individual jobs would like to see. An individual job might say, I want you to spread my tasks across machines or across zones. So that is a constraint. So Fenzo matches these constraints as well as the fitness function and comes up with scores and picks the best possible agent. I see. And so how do you how do you build that in relation to what Mesos does off the shelf? So Apache Mesos is going to do the resource allocation, but in order for you to run tasks, you must have a scheduler. Uh, or a framework to run on top of Mesos. Oh, that's and, right. Okay, so Mesos comes with Marathon, and you can swap out Marathon for something else. Apache Mesos can run any number of frameworks. Marathon is a popular one. Uh, there are other ones as well. Correct. You can run any one of them, or you can also run multiple frameworks on the same Mesos cluster. Okay, so is so do you, do you give a scheduler to every framework? Is that how Mesos works? Mesos offers these resources or allocates these resources to each of the frameworks that are connected into it. Ah, correct. Okay. And it has its own algorithms to figure out how many to allocate to which framework, how often. And there are knobs that you can tweak. Uh, there's configuration. There's different policies, etc. Okay, I understand. So, so at Netflix, do you have it institutionalized where? Everybody who has a frame, everybody who 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 wants to use a framework, they have to specify the fitness functions. Or how does that work? Because it sounds like if you have this configurability, where you know you can you can you can write your own fitness function or um, calculate fitness based off of different things, then it sounds like different frameworks would have different requirements for for what constitutes fitness. That is definitely a possibility. What we are trying to do uh, in the frameworks that we are running right now is to present a simplified model to our end users. 
so our end users don't need to think about writing a global fitness function. Um, and when it comes to it, the users primarily uh, are focused on getting their job done. Um, an end user that wants to run a workload is not the one concerned about bin packing, at least not directly. Uh, bin packing is more of a concern to maybe reduce the footprint or there could be other reasons. Um, so the end users are presented with a more simpler model where they specify constraints to say, spread my tasks across the availability zones, or I want locality or anti-locality with these other tasks, um, things like that. Or I have an affinity to certain kind of instance types, uh, if possible, mm. things like that. I see. So the user can specify what are the things that I want to take into consideration that makes sense to me as an application developer. Fenzo translates these into fitness functions. Uh, correct. And constraints. And constraints, right. And there's also this notion of urgency. How do, like urgency is, uh, I guess, you know, how how soon do I need this job done? So is is that like a I mean, how how, did, how does that get get calculated when when uh, tasks are getting scheduled using Fenzo? So there are two concepts that come into picture there. One is priority, and the other is some kind of a, a control for managing throughput across multiple batch workloads. Um, we are still evolving this space, and the way we are modeling that is that we have um, task queues. So in the beginning, um, especially when the cluster is new, it is often the case that there are enough resources to run all the tasks. And if that is the case, especially if you're in an elastic cloud where you can scale up to meet the demands, then you do not need to have a prioritization scheme because you're able to run all the tasks. However, as soon as you start running a big amount of a large amount of batch jobs and as the cluster size grows we need to start prioritizing um, strict priorities are useful at a coarse grain level it, at least in our mind where we have a handful of priority levels or tiers as we call them and these represent in some ways the criticality or business criticality of each of these workloads to say hey if you don't have any resources, at least run this top tier uh, workload. And, and then after you've satisfied them, then run the next tier of workload. Uh, and then you may have like three or four, usually a small number of tiers. But within each tier, you cannot look at priority. What we look at is how many resources or what's the SLAs, what's the capacity that we need to guarantee for different applications at this tier. And that's where the weights come in. So it's sort of a fair share across all of these applications within the tier. However, it's a weighted fair share with some applications getting a bigger weight than others. There is this trade-off between the time that you can take evaluating how to schedule resources. Um, and this is ultimately knapsack problem, as, as I understand, because you've got these sure. these resources and then you've got places to put them and they the resources are are of different sizes the places to put them have different requirements so this trade-off uh it exists because you know while you're you're ev spending time evaluating the resource assignments 
your jobs are not getting run. So how do you negotiate that trade-off between the time that you spend figuring out how to allocate a certain number of machines to a certain number of jobs and the fact that that takes time to do itself? That's a very good point. Um, I'm reminded of an old research project we had um, at a previous place where we came up with a really awesome cool scheduler scheduling algorithm and we said, okay, this is going to do an awesome optimal assignment. Let's let's uh, write it up. And then we, we realized that, hey, it'll take us five minutes of compute time to figure out the most optimal assignments. And while in five minutes on a large cluster, there's so many CPUs that are going to sit idle, so many jobs that are waiting for five minutes to get assigned. So it's a very good question. Um, what we find, at least from the perspective of the kind of workloads that we are dealing with in and around Fenzo, we want to be able to schedule them really quick. Um, when I say really quick, ideally few milliseconds, um, low number of milliseconds, and maybe a second if it's like a, a really hard way to um, allocate them. Uh, in any case, so the point is we want to do a really fast allocation. However, we need to be able to react to any previously suboptimal scheduling allocations. While a first fit kind of a scheduling algorithm will give you really fast results, we want to do as much as possible optimal assignments, but not necessarily wait for a perfect fit. So Fenzo allows you to make this trade-off actually by providing not only a fitness function and a scoring, but also providing another function that says, how much of a score is okay? I'm going to start looking at all of the agents. And if I get a score, and the scores are usually from 0 to 1. If I get a score of 0 0.5, I may call it, well, that's good enough. I don't wait, want to wait forever. Um, so it gives you the control of saying, if the cluster is very large, let's reduce the um, fitness good enough value so we can do fast assignments. And then later react to things that may be actually caused by that assignment. Hmm. Now, I want to talk more about Mesos at Netflix. I guess, actually, one, one thing we should talk more about in terms of Fenzo. Um, Fenzo was built with the intention of um, improving the auto-scaling, how auto-scaling worked in terms of scheduling so what were the auto-scaling features that you needed that that, you, that don't really come out of the box with AWS, that don't really come out of the box with Mesos, that you needed to build because of the unique demands of Netflix? We're talking about auto-scaling. So we um, see 5 to 6x difference in the amount of data being processed or much more variation in the number of batch jobs that come in over a period of a day. Sometimes we have tens of jobs, sometimes we have thousands of jobs. It, it depends on the time of the day, right? And in order for us to build a Mesos cluster that can handle the peak, uh, it would be a lot more number of instances. But at the other times when there we don't have as much demand, we would rather release those EC2 instances so they can be either used for something else or we're not charged for those. Mm -hmm. um, that was the primary driving factor to create auto-scaling capability. So we right-size the Mesos cluster. 
when Mesos itself was built, um, a lot of the usage was in a traditional data center environment and auto scaling was not a need. Uh, and it continues to be the case today for the vast majority of the users. Mm. So now I'd like to talk a little bit more about how Fenzo fits into the larger picture of how you use Mesos at Netflix. So let's let's go back to that example of Mantis, the stream processing platform at Netflix. Can you give an explanation for how Mantis would interact with Mesos and what the advantages of Fenzo are in that example? Sure. Um, yeah, so Mantis is a Mesos framework that wants to basically run stream processing jobs and some of the needs it has is including the auto scaling of the cluster because the amount of data to process varies but also to place the tasks uh, in some intelligent way for example across availability zones if there's a stream processing job that consists of say a 10 tasks we want to make sure that they all get placed on different servers so if one of the EC2 instances were to disappear for some unknown reason, we don't lose a big majority of the processing power for an individual Mantis job. Uh, we see similar advantages in our Titus um, cluster as well, where we are running Docker-based batch and service applications. And we, we see a common theme across multiple frameworks, which is why Fenzo provides a common feature to all of these for the advanced placement of tasks in auto scaling. Mm. Uh, could you maybe walk through an example of the Titus, the interaction between Titus, which is this Docker container management platform that Netflix built? Could you walk through an example of Titus working against Mesa or working with Mesos and and how Fenzo complements that? Sure. So. Titus provides uh, an API to its users, and, and a lot of the users are um, workflow engines, for example. There are machine learning platforms uh, that have uh, a DAG-based workflow where they manage dependencies across tasks and they submit into Titus. And it also presents an API for um, systems like Spinnaker, which is our CI-CD continuous delivery platform, where people can submit microservices to run on top of Titus. So it presents an API to different applications and it receives workload requests. Um, so internally, Titus then registers into Mesos as a framework and receives offers, which it basically passes through into Fenzo. So Titus uses Fenzo to accumulate the resource offers from Mesos and then also passes all of the tasks that got submitted by the various workflow engines and lets Fenzo assign resources to each of them based on certain optimizations. Bin packing is one, but also packing them based on the expected completion times. Um, and there are also security requirements because of mixing different workloads. So Titus makes use of the AWS VPC environment uh, and the networking support that they have to achieve security group isolation across different containers running on the same agent. So it makes use of Fenzo to do all of these resource allocation based on these objectives. Okay. 
So you have been working on a new feature for Fenzo called task queues. What is a task queue and why is it useful in this conversation that we're having? Sure. Um, at a recent talk that I gave, the theme that I had there was um, compute resources are finite. Let's use them wisely. And and relevant to this conversation, computing resources are finite. Let's schedule them optimally. And even though we're running in an elastic cloud, and definitely for people who are running in a data center, there comes a time when you have a lot more workload than you can run concurrently at the present time. Uh, this could be various reasons, cost of computing, you're trying to get a upper bound on how many servers you want to pay for, it could be specific types of resources, so maybe GPU instances are, are far fewer um, in availability than other types, it could be nature of the work, batch workloads tend to be submitted in bulk and then maybe expected to finish over a day, not necessarily right away. Um, whatever the reasons are, we want to have a mechanism to say, Here's all of the workload. I'm going to keep some of them pending and then run the others right now. But the question is, do we want to keep them pending in a first-in, first-out manner? Likely not. We want to have more sophistication to say, here's all the pending workload. And the next agent that's available, we want to pick a, queue, a task from the queue that is in a, a better optimally aligned with our scheduling goals or service level agreements than just first in, first start. And that's where the queues come in. So we create a queue. Uh, it's sort of a priority queue to say that you may create as many tasks that you put into the queue, but the way we take them out for assignment is not in a simple first in, first start, but based on several SLAs and agreements. Interesting. So how might task queues change some of the interaction patterns that we discussed so far, like, you know, with uh, Mantis or with Titus? How would it be beneficial? The previous interaction from Titus and Mantis to Fenzo was that um, each of these frameworks, both Titus and Mantis, ran a scheduling loop. Um, and for each job that had pending tasks, they would collect them and call Fenzo to say, here's the list of tasks, give me an assignment. And Fenzo would say, here's the list of tasks that got assignments, and here's the list of tasks that failed. And these frameworks would then wait for a little bit of time and then call Fenzo again with the tasks that failed assignment previously to say, I need assignments again. And Fenzo would continuously try to optimally assign them. However, the way it changes is that both Titus, Mantis, or any other framework that uses Fenzo would queue up the tasks once into Fenzo and then wait for assignments to be uh, given later. So Fenzo would maintain a queue and be able to intelligently pick the next task that should receive resource assignment instead of always having to poll and figure out, is there anybody else that needs assignments? Got it. So as we begin to conclude, um, one forward-looking question I have is um, how you're thinking about serverless stuff at Netflix and whether that impacts you. Um, I imagine if Netflix could somehow like snap its fingers and uh, somehow re-architect instantaneously to 
a dream architecture where everything is running in a serverless fashion instead of um, requesting EC2 instances and so on, that it would it would lead to a lot of cost reduction. Um, of course, that is probably um, pretty far removed from reality because it would require so much refactoring. But how are you thinking about serverless? Is is that something that you can even take into consideration? Does that even does it even matter to you? I think serverless uh, presents an interesting um, platform, and it certainly has some amount of cer- certain certain kinds of workloads that are taking advantage of it. Um, it's relatively new. I have very little to zero working experience on it. Um, so things like uh, Lambda on on AWS are um, used by people, some people at Netflix and obviously a lot of other people in the industry in general. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, all of these are running on some servers. I, I think it's the abstraction that they provide that could be useful. Uh, we do not see that abstraction directly applicable to the kind of workload we're running on Titus today. Um, how that evolves over time is something that we have to watch. I think it's the, it's a separation of concerns where people who want to run their code want to look at them as functions and submit into a serverless environment. Um, it, I think it's, it's a matter of separating out the concerns and providing the right abstraction. Right. You know, not that like cost is a is a huge reason to yeah I mean I guess I guess cost is cost is really not a, a not a huge reason to um to you know uh, reinvent the wheel and rebuild the entire airplane um even if you could even if you were guaranteed to get a massive increase in costs um by moving to some serverless stuff but um anyway uh Sharma I want to thank you for coming on the show this has been a great conversation um and I'm I'm always intrigued and impressed to talk to the Netflix team. You guys have such a deep technical understanding. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. It was definitely a great conversation. O'Reilly is hosting Bot Day, a conference in San Francisco on October 19th, 2016, that offers the strategic and technical insight that you need to start implementing AI-driven conversational interfaces that can talk to your customers, make your employees more productive, and streamline your business. Check out Bot Day from O'Reilly, coming October 19th, 2016.